0: Welcome back to Trek Untold, and this is a special edition of Trek Untold, because we are celebrating Captain Picard Week. This event was organized by Strange New Pod, and it's a week-long festival of a bunch of different Star Trek podcasts covering topics about everyone's favorite Frenchman with a British accent, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, But I am not alone on this endeavor, because today I am joined by two very special guests.
1: Hey. I'm Hawk. uh, He, him. Uh, I'm a co-host on Strange New Pod. Uh, I also contribute to uh, Geeks with Kids. Um, I'm just a general fan of everything sci-fi, fantasy, and
2: all the other good stuff. And hi, I'm Jeff Aiken. He, him. I'm the host of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. And much like Hawk, if it's sci-fi, if it's nerdy, if it's great, I'm all in for it. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, thank you very much.
0: And for those who don't know, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, he, him, host of the Trek Untold podcast, which is a weekly interview series where I chat with folks across the Star Trek universe who have contributed in different ways. We get to know a little bit about what they do, talk a little bit of Trek, and go into all sorts of crazy, deep directions, much like we're going to end up doing today, folks. So... Uh, yeah, there are a ton of other podcasts who are joining this festival, so if you are new to this event, if you're just listening to it to the first time because you're a fan of my podcast or any of these other gentlemen's, uh, do make sure to check out strangenewpod.com for all the details about everybody else who's joining this big event here. Uh, and so, yeah, again, there's a lot of folks, and they're all covering specific topics. And uh the topic that I got today that we're going to be discussing is uh, a very heavy, deep one. <laughs> it's going to be a rough one to get through. Uh, and our topic is Lacutus of Borg, Jean-Luc Picard, and Trauma. And, you know, the word trauma is a very big word here. So I do want to just kind of start this off before we begin our discussion, uh, letting people know that we're going to get into some pretty sensitive, very heavy topics here. So if you are uncomfortable with it, if you're not really into listening to this episode because of that, not a big deal here. So, you know, we won't take offense if you can't handle this one here. It's all good, folks. Um So, yeah, that's kind of like my, my viewer discretion is advised warning for everybody out there. Let's go ahead and uh, I think we can just jump right on in at this point here. And really, my kind of question was, where do we start? Like with a topic like this, because it's such a big, broad topic. Also, it's going to get real heavy very quick because we've been alluding to. So I think what I'd like to kind of do is take it from where it begins. And that's trying to identify what kind of a trauma Picard faced when he first became Locutus. I think that there is an obvious analogy here for body autonomy especially in Best, uh, Best of Both Worlds Part 2, where, uh, you know, one of the things that stood out to me rewatching that episode again was the scene where Picard sheds a single tear as he's being turned into the board because he has absolutely zero control over what's happening. He is just essentially trapped in the shell of his body and numb while all this is going on. Uh, he's been physically violated, he's been mentally violated, and this is an abuse that will continue indefinitely because there's really nothing he can do to stop this. He is completely frozen so uh you know and this of course then goes into him becoming Lacutus and all that stuff but uh let's just first kind of try to maybe label and identify what's going on here so uh what do you see as the trauma that picard deals with and uh, i'm going to throw it over to hawk first uh what, what are your thoughts on this topic here
1: well with him this is it, this is interesting it's definitely a physical violation that he's going through in that you know basically his body is being subjected to you know a transformation in that through medical procedures, but more than that it it is in not just bodily in that but psychologically in that um everything Picard was is being not taken from his individual his individual body and thrown into the collective of the Borg in that uh all that knowledge everything that he had. Had acquired, and that is basically being is about to be used to wage war on his own federation um and I don't know at that that point it, it was re- he's really aware of the situation, but we definitely see afterwards in that 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 psychological effect uh and the trauma carried on with him and that knowing that he was used as a tool to help destroy like his own people.
0: how about you jeff? uh what are your thoughts on this one here? Well, you know
2: it goes so deep, and you know
0: Matthew it really I think'. Does. Pointing
2: out body autonomy is so great. I I want to step like deeper down, so it's like digging into the layers where um Star Trek attacks so many great topics, and I think some of them they do without even knowing they're doing it, right? So this happened. This uh, episode was at eighty, eighty nine, ninety when it came out. And so, you know, at that point in our society, we thought of diversity or multiculturalism, as we called it back then, as really being about what color our skin was in a lot of ways. But now we know so much more. And what I saw when I rewatched this was I imagined a person of color or a person who's not cisgendered or has a non-binary, you know, gender having to conform, being forced to conform to something that's not them in order to fit in. Right. So. If I look back on my career working in in the corporate world or whatever like that, that, that was the uniform you had to put on. You know, I don't like wearing, you know, I I don't want to present this way. I don't want to act. This is not who I am. But when I'm at work, I have to be this person. But in the transformation of Picard to Locutus, not only did that transformation have to happen, but he had no say in that. So imagine a person that's trans and uh, and doesn't conform to, you know, maybe has a neurodiversity and these things suddenly being pulled away and having all that individuality ripped from them and then being like, no, you are now a cisgendered, heterosexual, white person who does everything. Like I read all that into just that. I mean, literally that one scene you described when the tear fell from his face. Cause it's just, I I could feel that. And I think I've worked with people, you know, and I think we all have probably worked with people who've experienced that. And I, I can think of one colleague I have in particular, who to this day deals with that trauma on a regular, regular basis. And just how impactful that is.
0: I think it's a very interesting point. And I didn't really even think about that too much. You know, uh kind of going back to my past and maybe the first time I ever watched it, you know, the way I'm looking at it today is so different from how I looked at it back then, because back then it was just, you know, he's being assimilated. I just looked at it from the sci-fi perspective. And now as an adult, I can see some more, so much more of like the assault and the actual abuse he went through, the mental and the physical abuse, the violation. And uh, I really found it interesting too, how uh, you kind of made it into uh, the, the trans perspective. That, that's really interesting way to, to approach it.
2: I think that we're really good as a society of like, forcing people into boxes you know and what better box than a borg cube (laughs) you know and and it's one of those things it's like five points to gryffindor yeah (laughs) but it's just total prescient kismet where it's like who knew who knew that they nailed it this close but i um yeah everything that happened with lucutus from this point forward like that thought i couldn't i couldn't get rid of it you know that stuck with me the whole time
0: you know kind of similar to this path that we're on right now uh, and that's another part I want to highlight from Best of Both Worlds is where Picard is clutching Data's arm endlessly once they do rescue him from the Borg cube and you know I feel like Picard is using Data as a physical reminder of who he is but uh you know kind of going beyond this too I think he's also desperately clinging to data in fear of going back to who he just was as lacutus uh, i think it's a real subtle very powerful piece of acting from patrick stewart and he does it for basically you know the entire time he's in data's lab once he starts to come to uh, so i wonder if any of you guys picked up on that also and how you interpreted that moment it's
1: interesting that you mentioned that because now I, i'm 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 looking back on it differently and that yeah he clings to data and that i think because of that they've always had that special relationship throughout the series and that like you know Data and, you know, Picard has always seen himself as a bit of a mentor to Data and that in the ways of humanity and that. But also he tends to see humanity through Data's eyes, too, not almost like the way we see, like, you know, um, life through the eyes of a child. And that relationship is probably why, like, Picard, you know, clung to him that way, um, you know, trying to regain his humanity back from from his own student.
2: I think, too, what a moment of vulnerability, you know, and kind of almost selfishly and maybe not intentionally, but who better to be vulnerable with than the person you know is not going to pass any judgment on you, right? Like Data, he's just like, yeah, okay, I'm here.
0: Yeah, I think using the word vulnerability, this is like a great spot to start incorporating that word into this conversation here, because when we cover topics like trauma and assault, especially, it is very much about vulnerability. It's being vulnerable in a situation where you have no choice over it and then trying to then take that back, trying to take yourself back and take who you are back. So, uh, you know, I I guess when we talk about the whole process of becoming Borgified, if you will, uh, you know, basically Picard is forced to be completely vulnerable in every way. He has no option here. what's going on. We have to go back to the body autonomy argument. Um, And now at this point, you know, with Data, he's now been rescued. He's trying to get something back. He's trying to put up another barrier maybe at this point. Um, It's a little bit hard to say, but, you know, there's a lot going on there. It's an interesting piece. Um, I
2: wonder... And this isn't something I'd thought of until we were just having this conversation, but I, I wonder if there's got to be the trauma of returning, right? Like, so I don't, I don't think he ever accepted being Lacutus, you know, like, okay, this is what it's going to be. But there was the moment where he's just like, you know, I guess, and then he comes back and I I wonder, you know, and through Voyager seven of nine talks about, um, the comfort. Of the collective right and just the the voices that were there and how she really struggled with the silence when she was pulled out and i can't help but think of maybe that grasping of data was maybe a little bit of just that i'm suddenly alone again um in there and so it's like we can look at that moment as a win like this big triumph i'm not borg anymore but we know right because we're going to talk about all these other episodes that that borg's still a piece of him uh, you know, in some way, and I wonder if he, there's just that, that that trauma of being an individual again, yeah. the, the final scene in uh, best of both Worlds,
1: part two and that when he's in the office and that, yeah. going through the duty list and that, and it's like he was holding a cup of tea to his lips, that, and then just as he's about to take a sip, he stops and he realizes, like, you know, I can't go back to the way things were uh, and almost and the way he looked toward out the window towards earth and that, I think it pre preemptively introduced in the next episode as he's looking down on earth he it's almost like he's on autopilot like the, that survival and programming mode that he goes into says i need to go home
0: yeah i kind of wonder if there's a little bit of maybe um you know I don't know if Stockholm syndrome is the right word, but there's a tendency with a lot of folks where if they're in an abusive situation, they will stick with the abuser through it still. And I wonder if that's a feeling that Picard was going through. You know, I don't really necessarily think it is, but there's definitely, you know, the fact that he did have such a deep connection. I think that can be reflected in the idea of like an abusive relationship where you're afraid to get out because you're so familiar with it. You're so deep into it that it's just so hard to claw your way back out.
2: I think a survival instinct is you have to kind of accept your... Reality, you know, and it, it, it's hard, you know, I, I'm sure I, I could go on and see how long, but like the moment from when he was assimilated to the moment he became unassimilated wasn't overnight, right? Like stuff happened in there. And so he had to have been doing some math in terms of just like, is this, is this my life now, you know, and then to generally and pretty suddenly not not have that be your life and you still have that connection. And I think we see, and we'll talk about like the progression he goes through of just absolute outright hate, you know, towards the Borg and how in the, the Star Trek Picard that, that evolves a little bit um, in there over time. And, and that, yeah, so I think it's going it, to, it's going to be interesting to, for us to talk through that change. Cause right now Hawk, you were right. He's just lost and it's almost I don't want to read too much into it, but it's like I got to go home, almost like I have to go back to my alcove, you know, sort of like I must do the thing. And yeah, I think, oh, it's got to be wrestling with so much. When you mentioned Stockholm syndrome
1: and that, I think of more. I don't see it more as Stockholm syndrome because that implies like you know you've developed like empathy and like an emotional attachment to your abuser. In that, I would say he's going through survivor's guilt, you know, more than yeah. anything else.
0: It's funny you mention Survivor's Guilt, because I actually had something I was thinking about uh, as well with that. Because, you know, we're kind of really jumping ahead here, but I was reminded a little bit of uh, DS9 and the DS9 pilot, which mm-hmm. is the first and only face-to-face on-camera interaction we get between Commander Cisco, then Commander Sisko, and Captain Picard. And, you know, they really haven't met necessarily, but Cisco has sort of met him because he met lacutus And uh, their interaction is pretty cold, uh, not the best, obviously. Uh, so it kind of got me wondering if, if Picard actually does feel Survivor's Guilt. Because he did take a lot of lives, but I mean, he he felt pretty detached when he had that moment with Cisco, and you know, this is a point where he is coming face to face with someone who his abuse, basically, you know, lashed out towards. So, I mean, do, do you believe in this instance? Is there some? You know, we know that Picard feels remorse, but is there survivor's guilt? Does he feel like you know, should it have been me, or is it this point? At this point for him, it's just like you know, what happened happened. I can't do much about this.
1: It's definitely survivor's guilt. You can see it in brothers and that when he goes as he goes home and that that whole you know, and for some reason, his brother knew exactly the right buttons to push. He seemed to instinctively know what Picard needed at that moment to get over what was happening. Cause like he would been cold and detached the whole time he was there. You know, he was home with family and that, you know, but it was still. Captain Picard, and that, and Rene managed to break down that barrier, and that by pushing his buttons enough to re- provoke a fiz- an emotional response from him, and that, and after they got that fight out of the way, like that's when all the tears, all the sadness came back, and it's like I wasn't strong enough, I wasn't good enough, you know, and delving into his backstory in that episode, and that, like you know, the, how he had pushed himself to be an achiever, how he had separated himself from like his family's traditional values, and that being taken and like, you know, emptied, you know, of those things that made him who he was and that like the scars will, will have been there forever. And his brother, you know, God bless him, helped him manage to put it into
2: perspective. I think you hit on the key thing there. Like you had to be Captain Picard, you know, and in that moment with commander Cisco, he was being Captain Picard. You know, I think there's just that call where when I'm at work, I have to be at work and I have to be this. And, and, and at this point, you know, Captain, the legend of Captain Picard is out there, you know, and so he's got to live up to that ideal in front of this commander, this this punk who's going to run this, you know, and last corner of the galaxy space station that dude just come over here and keep stuff cool. You're seriously going to bring, me, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot more there, but I think that was kind of the interplay there where Cisco's laying it on the line, dude, you killed my wife. You killed my captain. You destroyed my ship. And Picard's like, yep, those things happened. This is your assignment. Um, I'm here to help you in these ways. And then I'm out of here. And again, like I said earlier, I think we have worked, you know, all of us and all the people listening have worked with someone like that. You know, you're like, I need to miss some work. This horrible thing happened, and they're like, "Well, I'm really sorry to hear that, but uh, you know, really need you on the shift uh, coming in." So you know, rub some dirt on it and get back in here. Picard was that guy in there, but in family, you're so right that oh, that whole thing with his brother, like, so good. And I think my favorite thing when they're in the mud and just crying, one that his brother did was genius, but that Picard also did. Picard, the Jean Luc did. They're both Picard, but he starts crying. And he just let him go. Like he let it happen. And his brother let it go. He didn't dive in and try to be like, it's okay. No, it's no. You're. He just let him say the stuff that needed to happen. And I think that's where we, as people adjacent to other people's traumas, I think it's where we mess up sometimes. We want to go in and fix. But the thing is, they actually have to express. That's a huge part of it. And Renee let that happen. Jean-Luc let that happen. And that was the magic moment in that whole episode.
0: So I definitely want to come back to family because there is a whole lot to break down that happens in this episode, but I actually want to take one step further backwards for a minute here. I want to just look at the Borg and consider them and how they relate to trauma. And, you know, I think, I think it's Unimatrix Zero in Voyager where we see a group of Borg remembering who they were before they became the Borg. Uh, and, you know, that kind of reminds me of uh, a shared trauma. You know, that's a term I think we've heard a lot, especially right now during COVID-19 times where, you know, so many people as a group, kind of fell into the same traumatic event because we're all dealing with COVID-19. So there's this mass depression across the entire world. It's it's something, you know, and we're all basically having this shared experience together. And, uh, you know, to me, the board are kind of having this shared traumatic experience that is essentially keeping them traumatized and, and paralyzed, if you will, as part of this collective. As much as they want to get out, they're so paralyzed to do so. And even... In that scene in Unimatrix Zero, we see them saying, oh, no, you shouldn't have that thought. You shouldn't think that way. No, no, we're here. We're, this is how we are. It's just the way things are. So they're essentially surrounded by self-defeated people who just can't improve their situation and don't really want to. So, you know, I'm kind of curious what you guys think the Borg represent as a whole when it comes to trauma.
1: A Very interesting question. Um, Jeff, maybe you want to go first. I, gotta, I think I got yeah. my thoughts on this.
2: Well, you know, I think because there's a couple times throughout the whole you know the 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 whole franchise that we see borg that have been pulled from the collective right so they're somehow disconnected the descent double part you know two parter i borg um you know some of the early ones and i think like 100% of the time that they're separated somebody gets the idea of just like yeah this doesn't work <laughs> it's basically like the borg separated, become an Ayn Rand novel <laughs> all of a sudden of just like, we're going to tear this thing down and, uh, you know, take it apart. And, you know, you know we're all, through. I am the individual. I can do these things. And, and so I think it is. And I think it's the used sci-fi to basically say, you don't have any autonomy. You don't have any decision-making. It's all gone. But the reality is it's still there. And like the thought I just had is we know that with Picard as Locutus, he was like a spectator, you know, watching everything happen, horrified and couldn't. Is that what every Borg goes through all the time? And I think, yeah, we learned that through Seven of Nine story. Um, but yeah, I think like to take it back to Next Generation, Hugh, I think through Next Generation and Picard really embodies exactly that one of the biggest things i take
1: away from like the whole experience of people who kind of become disassimilated from the the collective is that is the first thing is the first emotion that they seem to really react upon is anger and the hatred and that and that wanting to you know get back at their abusers you know somehow um this came up a couple times when i was watching it first with Iborg. You know when we Card first meets Hugh and that and, and looks at him not as a survivor like he was and that but look potentially as a way of getting back at the at the ones who abused him and caused him this trauma. Second was you know I'm glad you mentioned the descent because I had to go back and rewatch it and that because I kind of largely forgotten about it. But Lore used these dis, dis- assimilated Borg in that. Uh, to wage his his war you know, his supposed war on the federation and that but he tapped into their anger and their hatred and their fears first of all that he didn't he didn't he wasn't there to save them and that he didn't try to coax him back into humanity and that he took advantage of the one thing that victims of trauma can always be relied upon and that is to be experiencing an enormous amount of rage and fear and hatred
0: and I think what's interesting, too, to bring up this end is, you know, we're kind of now looking at, as we mentioned, the collective shared trauma, you know, with this episode's topic is really centered towards Picard. Picard had a singular experience, which we're making a lot of allusions to being, you know, about self-autonomy and other things like that. But when you look at it from an entire group, and let's say the entire Borg, you know, you can now look at it from the angle of like, you know, is this like a religious cult kind of thing? Is it like some kind of group of people have now pulled you in and you can't get back out? I mean, it's interesting how there's a lot of ways to look at the same kind of trauma.
2: Yeah, and I think that Picard... I think this is still super relevant because Picard became a part of that. It's almost because, and because he became the spokesperson like to go on the religious cult piece, like it's almost like he got pulled into the cult without wanting to, right? I think that's a key part of the whole thing. And then was immediately made like a leader of that cult. (laughs) It's like, go do this thing. And then immediately was pulled out of that. And it's like in I Borg, you know, you're right. When he was just like, they're talking about the virus they want to put in there. And Dr. Crusher, as she often is, is kind of the voice of reason being like, you know, we're talking about genocide here, and Picard's like, yeah, I sure hope so. Like, that's good. And what? That's so not Picard, like, in that moment. Yeah.
1: I mean, like, you know, like, this is Captain Picard advocating genocide, and that, you know, there's no, it's not the same guy we saw who, you know, what, you know, successfully argued for Data's rights in measure of a man. It's not the same guy who, successfully argued for humanity's right to exist in you know in the encounter of far point uh this was a this was somebody who was just acting out on pure rage and i hadn't even considered the idea of the cult angle in that uh, for the board because you know i always you know i always think of it you know in the way they just basically people had no choice in that you know um but the cult angle is interesting
0: so let's go ahead now jump actually into family because i already mentioned i got a lot to say about this also and it's an interesting one for me because you know uh, this is where the healing process does begin to happen here. You know, uh, from the opening act, we see that Picard is essentially in denial. And that's an important thing to note here. It's a common way that people will cope with unhealthy things. It's an unhealthy way to cope with it, but it's, you know, his way of dealing with it in the, in the beginning. Uh, you know, th- people will place boundaries in front of others in various ways, and part of that is them denying that they were ever even afflicted by anything. So, you know, when we head into this episode, it's an interesting one because Picard is dealing with attachment issues also. And this is something we've seen in other episodes, you know, um, Namely, he doesn't like to attach to things, especially family, especially, you know, children. It's probably wh- part of why he's not really a fan of kids. It's an attachment issue for him. So, you know, this is, again, another boundary issue. This is something I kind of noticed when I was rewatching it, too, is like right before Picard leaves to go back to France, uh, he takes like books with him from his ready room because it's almost like a security blanket. And, you know, this is like the one place that he can be safe in. And that's also why he gives the room one last look before he actually does depart because he doesn't want to go. He's just that deep in denial. He's that stuck in his head that he can't leave this environment. Um, so, you know, inexplicably, Picard does head home, even though he's reluctant to do there. And when he gets there, he pretty much remarks how nothing has changed. It's the same of how it was from childhood. And I feel like that's what Picard was looking for. You know, as I mentioned, he's kind of putting up boundaries now, and that's to fully avoid addressing anything he needs to do to make changes to himself because he's so deep in this denial. So to me, he wants to go to this one place that is a constant. And that includes the constant issues with his brother, Robert, that, you know, really haven't been fixed up until this point at all ever uh you know it's kind of like he chooses to deal with a familiar pain rather than fight with a new pain it kind of reminds me of a story this is making a deep cut now uh kind of reminds me of a story from james joyce's dubliners titled sisters Uh, i don't know if you guys are familiar with it but basically the story uh, it, it very much deals with paralysis and a mental state of paralysis and uh and that ultimately is what leads to the continued decline of this pair of sisters who are, you know, at this point in the story, very old. They've had this big, long life together, and it's all just kind of filled with heartache and tragedy, and they're kind of content with it. Why do you think Picard ultimately did head to LaVar, and what do you think he actually accomplished by doing so? I mean, was he just going there because he wanted to keep himself in a depression that he was used to and really never expected to accomplish any healing? Uh Or, you know, what was their actual intent to really make change? It just, you know, ultimately it kind of just happened anyway.
1: it's interesting because like from what we understand and that this was a place he did everything he could to escape from. And that, you know, the father was a traditionalist. He didn't like modernism. He didn't like technology and that And Picard's whole, you know, career has been about advancement and technology and, you know, pioneering and exploring in that. And it's like, this is a place that's just a constant, you know, know, no, no technology, you know, like you know they still cook by hand in it again what he what he was after was basically i think you know comfort and protection you know he, like obviously there was there was issues with his older brother and that. you know i mean can you imagine like your little brother is the is the achiever in the family and that you know and in in most know, families and that the eldest has the most responsibility and the, the most expectations in that and yet it was picard and that who 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 got out. But at the same time, it's that he's still seeking that comfort from the brother. Like, even though they don't get along at the, at, at the core, he knows his brother still has his back.
2: I think you add to that. And, and thank you, Matthew. I think both Hawk and I called Robert, Renee, you know, so many R's. In I there. thought
1: <laughs> Renee too. Sorry. I know, Robert.
2: <laughs> but Robert's also dealing with the fact that Renee is basically another Jean-Luc where he wants to overachieve and do these things. And, you know, he's the one who's stuck there doing this stuff. And so there's a lot of inner connecting pieces in here, but I think, I think in family, one of the things I loved was we actually got to see counselor Troy counseling, <laughs> like That's actually thing, performing. Yeah. She's actually performing. As a, and really well, she was being a really good therapist in there too. So there's the one, one, one of the couple of episodes, but I think, you know, as someone who takes advantage of therapy, who believes that mental health is part of our total health and gosh, I wish more people would get on, get on board with that. But I think, I think there comes a level of attending therapy or or participating in it where you're like, yep, I'm going to do the things that my therapist tells me to do and check the boxes and uh, just kind of get them off my back. And I feel, I think that was kind of what he was doing. He's like, yep, I told you about my dreams Yep, I'm doing the thing. Oh, you? yeah, I'll take some shore leave. That's cool. I'll do it. Uh, I'll go home where I can just kind of be in this place where I I know what it's going to be. Also, like, I think he knows he gets to leave. You know what I mean? So he's like, yeah, I'll go there. It's temporary. It's not a permanent thing. I can deal with that. But he does. To your point earlier, he takes parts of home his quarters on enterprise with him in there. So he's like, "Yep, I'm going to totally go. I'm also going to avoid the issue entirely. Um, Come back. And then I'll continue checking the boxes. Counselor. Thank you.
0: It's like, basically he wanted to put in the bare minimum, but he wasn't really expecting to get much out of it. Yeah. But surprise, he got a lot out of it. One of the things I liked in this episode was uh, his relationship with Robert. And yeah, at one point Robert says to him how he wants to see Picard out of control. And that much comes in, I think the last act, Mm -hmm. Uh, he wants to see him out of control. Which, to me, I feel is how Picard views his time as Locutus. Because, you know, we already mentioned, you know, I mentioned a bunch of times body autonomy, um, but more so just the idea of, you know, the, the assault and just not having any control whatsoever of what's happening around you, what's happening to your body, what's happening to how you interact with other people. So, you know, I really think that Picard is very much kind of struggling with dealing with that issue still. And, you know, Locutus was Picard unhinged. And I don't think that Picard liked that. But did a part of him like not having the responsibility of being a Starfleet captain? And does he feel guilt over the fact that he might have felt that way about it? Because, you know, sometimes trauma does affect your brain. Your brain will lie to you in different ways. And and I wonder, like, you know, how much of him maybe, you know, he didn't like, obviously, the fact that he massacred a whole lot of people, but maybe he liked the fact that he didn't have to play captain for a little while.
1: I doubt it. I really doubt it. No, because, I don't, even going back to Q who, and that when Q basically introduced, like, you know, Picard and everybody to the and that, um, looking back on that when I was rewatching and that, uh, that scene at the end where Picard was basically, uh, he admitted defeat to him and that and conceded to that he was arrogant and that he was not prepared. Um, that last line when he says we're frightened, I think he's basically saying I'm frightened in that because he was basically confronted with, the opposite of, of what he's always been in his life you know this individual who was an achiever and like watching the system of uh, uh of a society where no you know not one not one individual matters in it. it's all part of a whole and that i think that was one of, i think that was probably his biggest fear he was confronting you know that even though like he seems like a humble guy i think there is a lot of ego to the character you know
0: that's what Rivera was saying to him the entire episode too, is how arrogant he used to be. Or at least that's yep. what you know. His uncle nephew was saying to him also. You know what's that word? Arrow what now? Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, arrogant. I, exactly. Yeah, I, I totally, feel, I totally feel what you're saying though about that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It even came up in tapestry, right? For, for his or no, not tapestry. What am I thinking? Impossible box where Rafi's talking It's like, "Yep." For as much ego he, as he is, he's even more id. You know, in that. So I, I agree. Hug. I, I don't think it was him not wanting to have the responsibility. I think it was him feeling the failure, whether it was really his failure or not. You know, he has so much ego attached that he wrapped himself around it. And so he he saw himself as failing as a captain. So he ran away and he ran away to home in Labar. And then I think what's fascinating then, if you look fast forward ahead, when he was made an admiral and was given kind of the, you know, hey, you need to help evacuate Romulus and the Romulan star empire, or the Romulan empire. And there and failed you know for if you read the novel for reasons outside of his control, um but did what did he do? He ran away and he disappeared. It's almost like his ego can't handle dropping you know being a failure, and so I think we get that little piece here, but we get a bigger piece that leads to the whole series you know of Picard, but in this one, I think and Matthew, you said earlier, how trauma really impacts the brain in there, and I you know I Unfortunate, and that I work with some behavioral health professionals. I am not a behavioral health professional by any means, but it's a thing I hear them talk about a lot: is how trauma, especially capital T trauma, which is what he experienced here, literally rewires your brain for survival. And I think what we see through family really is him in a crash, you know, a really compressed moment of trying to deal with that in fact. His brain the way his brain used to work and the way his brain worked as lacutus are now clashing in real time in Picard.
0: And to kind of tie everything together, I think, because you both made some excellent points here, I feel like it is very much that arrogance and the ego of Picard that makes him resistant to really doing much uh, of, you know, putting, putting a maximum effort, if you will, to make a change in any way. And of course, you know, that does damage someone's brain, if you will. You know, we don't really think about that, but that kind of thing that you're going through, you know, the fact that you already went through a traumatic experience is already putting some stress onto your cranium. Uh, you know, at this point now, you're basically making it worse for yourself. And you're yeah. kind of just refusing to go out there, make the changes you need to do to get yourself healed up. And uh, that kind of leads me to my next question here. And, you know, many parts make up the sum of who Picard is. And some of those things are better than others. I mean, from my perspective, Picard is diplomatic. He's able to consider other people's opinions when he's making big decisions. Uh, but, you know, the question is, does he think of himself enough? And, you know, in the examples you just kind of gave, you know, it's very much him running away, not wanting to confront these things. So, you know, what would you guys say are the character traits of Picard that would help progress his healing? And what hinders this healing also? I guess, you know, obviously we already talked about the arrogance. That's definitely a big hindrance. But do you see anything else hindering him from moving forward or how he moves forward?
1: It's odd because, like, for someone who's such a student of humanity and that, um, when it comes to dealing with issues of the Borg after the event and that, like, he seems to default back to hatred and like ang- and fear and anxiety. You now, that is what we see with, you know, in I, Borg and that, and the way his initial treatment of Hugh, you know, he's able to get past that when he actually has to confront Hugh, you know, before sending him out on this, uh, you know, suicide, you know, this, you know, uh, not suicide mission, well, actually suicide mission, but... um yeah, he actually has to confront his fears, you know, of of the Borg. Um, but then, like, you know, with first contact, you know, he when you know when the when the situation was so dire, and that he defaulted back to, you know, fear and anxiety. And that um, you remember like, the whole scene in the you know the holodeck ballroom, and that where he he guns down like those Borg, and that, and then starts digging into them, and that, and you know, Sloan points out that's that point you're crewman. <laughs> He forgets his humanity when, when, with around the Borg, you know, and it's, it's a lesson that he doesn't even really learn even up until the impossible box, you know, uh, he's still, when they're tasked with having to, having to go to the reclamation site, uh, of the artifact and like how his fears over that, like he defaults back into. You know, anger in that, and we see. You know, it's only after he goes through that whole panic attack, um, which, by the way, is a fantastic scene in that. Like, um, I had an anxiety disorder, and that, like, panic attacks are just the worst in that. You know, it's not just it's not just psychological; it is is very much physiological symptoms of dizziness and like upset stomach, and like the way you know you just can't seem to find your bearings in that. And yet, it's Hugh who basically pulls him back, and it's like. It greets him like with such humanity and that, you know, recognizes him as his savior In that, that I, I think that was the most important breakthrough he had was, was finding you at that point.
0: If, if you don't mind it too, I just want to talk a little more about that point as well, because, you know, the response you talk about, it's very much an irrational response, uh, which is caused by this trauma. And so that puts up, you know, a boundary and that boundary is not an irrational boundary. It's an immediate kind of response to the situation. And, um, you know, bringing up my is real great because, uh, we've talked about, you know, his reaction to the Borg, and it's very much an uh, implicit bias that he's feeling towards these people. Uh And, you know, basically, as I was thinking about that episode two, I was kind of trying to decide, like, is Picard's reaction wanting to, like, destroy the Borg, and especially the way he reacts towards Hugh in the beginning, was it passive-aggressive, or was it just straight-up aggression, you know? But um it's, it's tough to really figure that one out, because, you know, that, that's what happens when you have this implicit bias, which manifests during trauma. It kind of You know, it brings a negative memory to just kind of repeat itself and give you a preconceived notion of what's going on, even if it's not the truth. That is, again, your brain lying to you. That's the essentially, you know, when we say the brain damage caused by trauma, that's kind of things we mean by it. Depersonifying the Borg, especially, it, it kind of makes sense that he would do that. But I like your point about how, you know, he does kind of lose his humanity. I think that's that's a great example of it. So um that's just me piping in for no reason. Um, But uh <laughs> Jeff, go ahead. Yeah, I know you had something to say also about this.
2: Yeah, no, and, and I think it's so brilliant. He lost his humanity, but was brought back by the humanity of one who was Borg. You know, just I mean, oh, wow, there's a lot just in that. But even. After that, they're on the the artifact, as they call it, and they're helping the XBs recover, you know, just from the physical nature of the implants and stuff. And he has a quote in there. I actually wrote it down. He says, this is how people need to see the XBs and see the Borg. They're victims. They're not monsters. And you contrast that to when he first met Hugh and I, Borg, when he's like, yeah, I want to murder every last one of these things. And that's... I think what it shows is there's not a quick fix to trauma. You don't take a pill or go to therapy twice and call it good. I mean, this was what thirty years or something that he went through, and went through huge spikes with you know what we saw in First Contact and those pieces to 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 get to that moment of realization. And it probably didn't come together until he and Hugh embraced, and they're like, "Oh my God, it's so good to see you." <laughs> it was such a great scene. But I think you know, Matthew, your question was really around what you know, the things that stopped Picard from doing this. And I, I think it goes back to the, the image of captain Picard. You know, I think he bought in to the height of who he was and, and he just didn't have the humility or the vulnerability to be able to say, yeah, I, uh, I'm not feeling good. <laughs> uh, dang, I'm not seeing the world right. And I need to, I need some help. There's a, there's an article, um, there's a lot of articles on the internet, actually, I don't know if you know that or not, it's full of articles, <laughs> but there's one that I, I found that was so good and basically laid out why after best of both worlds specifically, but especially then after, uh, tapestry and after chain of command and inner light, they're like, yeah, captain Picard is not fit for command after all this trauma <laughs> in there. And it really centered down onto the fact that he wouldn't stop pause ask for and accept help.
0: Yeah, and again, this this episode especially is very much focused just on Locutus of Borg, but we do know that Picard has faced a whole lot of other traumas out there. And I think you guys also had some some more thoughts you might want to go into more detail on, because uh, I know there's the inner light, there is chain of command, there's a bunch of other stuff. So what comes to mind is something we have talked about already a few times, that is Romulus. And really, you know, that is essentially what Picard season one really starts to be about in the beginning, at least, is Picard is kind of still dealing with the guilt over what happened at the end of Nemesis and what that has caused, because, you know, here we are, 20 years later, and he's still getting asked the same questions about the situation that he's had to deal with for quite some time. It's a decision that, you know, he did not have much of a choice in how things happened, but he is essentially responsible for it. So he is carrying the burden single-handedly, much like he single-handedly carried the burden of being Locutus, causing the Battle of Wolf 359, and basically winning it for the Borg. Um, so, you know, it's just more weight they are adding, more little pebbles that continue to pile up onto Picard's very shiny bald head. Then, um, you know, As we mentioned, the Impossible Box does go into some of the stuff with the Borg, and we do get some Borg stuff. But, you know, that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg here. So, yeah, if you guys want to go into a little bit more about anything else, you know, feel free to.
1: I was going to say, like, you know, failure was even, even before, like, the Enterprise and that. Failure was something that, you know, he has experienced in that, you know, we, you know, we have heard, you know, we all know the story with the stargazer and that, that, you know, it was brought before a court-martial and that for basically the loss of a ship and that, you know, which is, you know, in the military, you know, can end a career like that, you know, and yet survived. He, he came through that, not just that, but to become the captain of the Federation's flagship, um, So we think he would be somebody who was capable of dealing with failure a lot better than he is, you know, he even has to give advice to data um, in that in the episode. I'm trying to remember the name um, when uh, data begins to doubt his own programming and that uh, after he's beaten in that strategy, game by the tactician. Yes. And he's like, it's possible to make all. Yeah, it's possible to make all the right decisions and still lose. You know, you think somebody that wise and who has gone through that much in the, in the, in his career and that would, ha- would have a better grasp of how to deal better with failure.
2: I think that might be a case of that's what's good for you. Isn't necessarily good for me. Right. You know, I mean, it, it, to me, it keeps kind of landing on what I call like society's dominant toxic culture, you know, where like, well, I'm, I'm the dude in charge. So, I mean, I'll give you the great advice, but I have to hold myself to a higher a higher standard and stuff and and also, you know, the fact that it's a sci-fi show written in the eighties and nineties and continuity wasn't necessarily the <laughs> the priority for a lot of what they did.
0: I mean, speaking from experience, from chatting with folks on my podcast, especially, you know, I hear from actors all the time who said their mental health was just in the garbage the entire time they were doing shows. And that's that's coming from folks who were character actors or even folks who were regular cast members. You know, like they didn't get a chance to even heal themselves while they're being performers. And they got to play these characters who are equally traumatized, if not more so.
2: Yeah. Well, I think about Chain of Command Part Two. Right. And what what I what I adore about that episode is that it was kind of a passion project for Patrick Stewart. He fought hard to keep the script what it was. He filmed those scenes on a closed set in the nude. Uh, he wanted it to be so real that people were disturbed by it because these are the, th- you know, he did, they, they conferred with Amnesty International. He had a message he wanted to deliver. And I think they did a great job. But to your point, he had to go through that torture. And display it, and demonstrate it, and then get like a day off, and then the next day go in and start filming some lighthearted, whimsical episode about some sci-fi thing. Like, oh, everything's fine. And uh, it wasn't, right? There's no way that could have been fine for Patrick Stewart, let alone Jean-Luc
0: Picard. And, you know, we spent so much this episode kind of uh not really beating on Picard, but we've been kind of laying a thick on Picard and all the stuff he's dealing with here. And it's been pretty unpleasant. But, you know, as, as we come to a wrap for this particular episode of Captain Picard Week here on Trek Untold, uh, you know, we've been talking a little bit about the Impossible Box and that moment, that reunion that he has with you. And, uh, you know, to me, this is like that moment when they did the, have that embrace. You know, that's like kind of when all the experience kind of just... Dissipated, if you will. You know, it definitely felt like the weight was finally really lifted off of his shoulders. And you know, this is an episode that we're talking about trauma, we've been talking about paralysis, but I want to talk about catharsis. So was this finally the moment of catharsis for Picard? And you know, do you believe that he is truly now free of at the very much the acutest trauma?
1: I doubt free is the word for it, you know. I think it's something he will always carry. I mean like I his brother told him as much back in family and that, you know, this is something you're going to have to carry with you for a long time. And that, you know, you mentioned about the books and that. I thought that was interesting because I thought, yeah, you know, when I was thinking about that, is like this is not something you can put in a box. This is not one of his books he can just put on his shelf and that and call back, you know, when when he wants to, and that it's something he'll have to carry with him his entire life and that. But I think with an impossible box, that scene of seeing like, you know, so many you know, of the people that Hugh had helped in that, you know, and thinking back that, you know, it's like, I, you know, I took a chance, you know, uh, you know, I could have just, he could have just sent Hugh off and that with the program in his head and wiped out the entire board culture and that. But he took a chance, you know, recognizing that Hugh was somebody who still had humanity in him, and who, you know, was capable of being saved. Yeah. Uh, it was like the fruits of the the seed that it was a seed that he planted in that. And it's like even 30 years later, he got to see, you know, the fruition of it and that that one person he helped help thousands of others.
2: Yeah. And I think, too, talking about seeds, I, I don't know if it was if it's the moment, but it's a moment, you know, so a moment was Robert and him in the vineyard. Right. And having that moment where he broke down and acknowledged it, he had a moment with uh with sloan in, in first contact when she was just like you know what do that was that was a second ago that was one of your crewmen and you know he had those moments that went in here but i think this was a big one and where i think it's it's one that I think really starts kind of building momentum for him on the path is they embrace. It brings that anxiety for him into focus, but even as they're moving through and they're heading to the queen's chamber, he continues to have these flashes and these memories. And Hugh is kind of guiding him through that shared, that shared trauma we talked about. And when they get in the queen's chamber and he was like, you've never been here before, but you know what it is. And he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, me too. I know it's just there. So he has that moment where they can connect and he knows he's not alone in this. And I think fortunately, unfortunately, whatever the series kind of took a, you know, turn in the direction towards the synth piece, which great. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, it'd be cool if they did more exploration on the Borg thing, but I mean, barring that I have to believe that's a point where like the healing that has happened over the past few decades for him is really Like really going to pick up some steam and some momentum for him. I don't think trauma is a thing that you ever truly heal or recover from. I think it becomes a part of you. And I think that this helps is going to help him make this a part of him in a, in the most positive, most positive way. I sound so ignorant saying these things, but you know, I think it can get him to the best resolution possible
0: yeah when it comes to things like trauma like really anything that goes into that category if it's grieving someone or anything else it, it's basically going to be something that does stay with you forever i mean it's if it's like anxiety it's something that you're basically going to deal with it on a day-to-day basis it's never going to go away it might just shrink little and little but it's still going to be a voice that's going to be in the back of your head it's going to might maybe you know one day invade your thoughts again it's something you will always be dealing with and it is going to be something that picard will continue to carry within him but I, I think at this point, uh, you know, at least we're hoping so because we haven't seen Macar season two yet. But uh, I think we can safely say, that at the very least, that the cutest voice has very much diminished, and you know, especially with you now, that it's not gone for good. But at the very least, it'll be a passing thought, and it won't harm him as much as the thought used to harm him.
1: True. Uh, I'm I'm all, I'm a bit reminded of. Uh, our, uh, have you guys heard of L- Romeo Dallaire? Uh, he was. He was a he was a colonel with the uh, Canadian Armed Forces and that, and he was serving in Rwanda and that right before the Rwandan genocide occurred, um, he basically was told, you know, as part of the UN Security Resolution, he was basically told to stand aside and that, and like he had been there for a few years and that, and made you know friends and you know connections with you know with the people there and that, and basically had to sit on the sidelines and that while while you know all while all the trauma was occurring around him and that. He carried with that with him for a lot of years, uh, wrote a book about it, uh, shake hands with the devil, uh, if anybody's interested in reading it, but it's, he explores survivors, guilt and trauma, uh, very well and is very open and honest about it. And he talks about how it can come back to you in, you know, out of the blue. Uh, he remarked on the story in that where he was driving home uh, during a snowstorm one night and all of a sudden he had had a, he had, Tried so a few times before to commit suicide. This was how badly he was affected by the incident and that. He was driving home during a storm. He hadn't even thought about, you know, trauma all day. And in one second in that, he decided he was going to turn his car into an oncoming guardrail and go over, over the side. The only thing that stopped it was that it had been snowing so heavily that the snow had created an embankment in that. And the car basically just rolled back into the road in that. But in that one second and that everything came back and hit him like all at once. And that, and that is the way trauma works. It'll come back to you and, and when you least expect it.
0: I think for me, uh, my biggest takeaway for this whole episode really is that when you're dealing with something like trauma, like anxiety, like depression. Because these things are all kind of going to go together. they're The same family of negative traits to deal with. Uh, I think really the biggest takeaway you can take from what Captain McCarr has learned throughout the many series and the films and everything is that really no man is an island and that it's okay to seek help and that's really what helps picard get through things is that he does seek help in different ways now whether or not we're talking about the effectiveness of counselor troy that's that's a whole other episode for another day but in general it's because he does eventually find his way towards other people who can put him on the path to again, making that invasive thought a little bit less invasive. And so, you know, I imagine for a lot of people who might be listening to this episode today, you're either really hardcore Trekkies or you are just attracted to this topic because it's one that you deal with as well on an everyday basis. So, you know, just remember out there that the internet is filled with all sorts of Trekkies just like us and plenty of folks out there who are listening, who are dealing with stuff too. So don't be afraid to reach out to your fellow strangers out there because we're all one big happy family. All right. So I think that's going to be it for our discussion of, uh, Locutus, trauma, Borg, and all this real heavy, deep stuff. So, uh, one more time, let me just throw it to my guests who joined us, my co host this week, uh, just to kind of promote their shows one more time for you.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much again for having us on, especially to talk about such an important topic. Um, I'm Jeff Aiken, the host of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. You can get wherever you get your podcasts. And Matthew, you said earlier, and I want to put it out there again that, the, the Trek community online is incredible and amazing. And if anything in this episode touched you in a way and you want to talk about it or whatever and connect, please, I, I can't wait to talk to you and meet you. Um, you can find me on all the social media at Jeff T. Akin, it's A-K-I-N. And uh thank you again, Matthew, for t- tackling this really, really important topic and for letting us be a part of it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Um Yeah. It is a, a very heavy
1: topic in that, but Star Trek, you know, throughout his history, I don't think it's ever been afraid of trying to tackle a topic. You know that that is difficult for a traditional show to talk about. So, um, as for myself, uh, you can catch me and the rest of the Strange New Pod crew every Thursday on your. You know um, We're out out there on all the podcast formats. Um, you can catch me on Twitter at the Hawk Nine um, Nine Nine. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I love the I love the community that's that, you know, around Star Trek and that um, ever since I joined the Strange New Pod uh, cast, it's, you know, it's it's been an eye opener how how much the show has affected people of so many different like, you know, places in life.
0: And again, I'm Matthew from the Trek Untold podcast. You guys can check me out on social media. At Trek Untold, and you can listen to the show wherever you find podcasts and also in video form uh, every Sunday on YouTube.com slash Nerd Today. And, you know, I got to tell our listeners, too, you know, this is really the first time that I've ever interacted with Jeff and I've ever interacted with Hawk. And, you know, we basically came together to do this very difficult episode and i'm really so happy that you guys are the ones who join me here because i mean really it's such a tough thing and i think you guys were the absolute perfect choices i'm glad that you you volunteered for this one too uh you know that means that you guys had something really important to say awesome, that you had some experiences that would bring a lot to the show and i really think we all did here um so you guys were amazing uh thank you for being willing to chat about something that is not easy to chat about so uh, again to everybody out there you know i hope you will check out all of our shows because really you should why aren't you listening to all of our shows you should get on that fix that right yeah. now if you're not already Um, But yes, until next time, we would also just give a shout-out to Strange New Pod for putting together Captain Picard Week. So one more time, do check out strangenewpod.com to get the full lineup and schedule for everything happening during Captain Picard Week. And we will see you guys for Season 2 of Picard. It's coming oh so soon. So again, thank you all for listening, and uh, until then, as I always say on my show, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms, is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network, and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.